Well, welcome to Grace, everybody. Good to see you guys this weekend, and welcome everybody watching online and at our live sites in the Montrose building. Uh, thanks for being here as well. It's great to connect with you guys. Um, before I jump into uh, our teaching for the weekend, I want to reverse back a little bit and uh, hit again this discovery group invitation. Uh, so if you are newer to Grace or feeling disconnected at Grace, or uh, maybe you usually watch online or at one of the live sites, uh, I want to invite you to come in uh, this afternoon. It starts at 1 o'clock. Uh, and go to uh, begin the discovery group process. So it, that disconnected feeling or that uh, feeling of like this is a big place with a lot of moving parts, I'm not sure how to navigate my way through it, that will go away uh, if you will engage that discovery process. And so we'd love for you to be there. Um, I'll, uh, we'll, we'll have lunch for you. We'll watch the kids for you today. I'll be there. I'd love to meet you and, uh, and to connect with you personally, and I would love for you to, to go uh, through that. So if you could make that leap, I know there's always like the hold your breath and make one big, uh, you know, make a jump into something new, or if you've just been disconnected, you're like, you know, we really need to get back in the groove. This is a great time to do that. And then what will happen is discovery will kind of land you right into the fall. So when, when the, the fall ministry season kicks up, you'll be raring to go, and uh, we would love to connect with you that way. So if you would make that leap, I'd be grateful, and you'll, you'll be glad you did at the end, and uh, we'd love to connect with you that way. So 1 o'clock today at the Gent Road building and uh, that, at the community room down, downstairs, okay? So we're in a series right now that we're calling Made for This, and what we've been talking about is what happens in us and what is happening in us after we accept Christ as our Savior. What is the spiritual thing that God is doing in us? So we accept Christ as our Savior. What do we mean by that? Here at Grace, what we mean by that is this. For me to accept Christ as my Savior or to get saved or to become a Christ follower or become a Christian, we define that this way here at Grace. It means when, when I agree with what God says about me and when I agree with what God says about himself in the Bible, right? That's what we're talking about. So in the Bible, what does God say about me? What God says about me in the Bible is that I am born a sinner, that I have a sin nature, we call it and that I sin naturally. And we all kind of know that if we think about it a little bit. Nobody ever taught you to lie. Nobody ever taught you to steal or be selfish or have lustful thoughts, right? You never went and had like lust lessons, right? We, we just do all that on our own. It's our nature to do that. Well, the Bible says that's true of every human being. So we're all born that way, and it creates a spiritual problem, a big one in us. Our sin makes us imperfect. And the Bible says that God is perfect. So we all have sinned and we fall short of the glory or the perfection of God. So God is sinless. We are sinners by nature. And then we do it on purpose. Like we all know that we do those things on purpose too. So God is perfect. We're imperfect. Perfection and imperfection cannot coexist with each other. So our sin separates us from God. It divides us from God. God doesn't want that. And so to create a solution for you and I to be able to be forgiven or cleansed of our sin, he turned to Jesus. 
Jesus comes to earth. He's born of a virgin. He comes and lives on the planet. He lives a sinless life. He teaches us. He gives an example for us. All those things recorded in the Bible. And what he does throughout his life, he doesn't sin, and then he lays his life down. So Jesus was not murdered. He gave his life like a police officer or a firefighter or a soldier would offer their life. Jesus offered his life for the forgiveness of our sin. The Bible says that when he did that, the consequences of sin were poured out on him. He bore it once for all, and he defeated sin. He overcame it, and in doing that, he created the ability for us to be forgiven. So the Bible says, when I recognize that God says that I'm a sinner, and I accept that and believe that, and that the Bible teaches that Jesus is the only path to forgiveness for that sin, and I act on it, then I'll be saved. When I confess with my mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, when I confess my sins, and the, the biblical word is repent, which means turn from, I turn from my sins, I ask for Christ's forgiveness, I yield my life to his defini definition and direction because he's God, so I'm going to live for God now. The Bible says that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from unrighteousness. So my, I'm a sinner. When I ask Jesus to forgive me of my sins, he covers me with his perfection. It's not that I'll never sin again. It's that I'm covered, I'm blanketed with Jesus' perfection, and that allows me to interact with God. That's what Jesus said. Jesus, these are his words, I'll quote him. He says this, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father unless they come through me. So when we ask the forgiveness of our sins from Jesus Christ, he covers us with his perfection, he forgives us, and now we can interact with God through Jesus' righteousness or his perfection. And that's what allows me to go to heaven, and that's what allows me to interact with God. So when we talk about becoming a Christ follower or having our sins forgiven or becoming a Christian or getting saved or all these different terms, that's what we're talking about here at Grace. Now, this is important because in this conversation that we're having, this conversation is going to land in a couple of different chairs. Uh, some of you are not yet Christ followers, which is completely fine, and thank you for even looking into it. So as I'm talking about things, if you have not yet asked Christ for the forgiveness of your sin and committed to following him with your life, then the things that I'm talking about are things that could happen for you. They're invitations that God's giving. It's what God wants to do for you. It's what he hopes for you, what he desires for you. And these are possibilities or opportunities for you, okay? If you have accepted Christ as your savior, then the things I'm going to talk about are realities for you. This is what is happening in your heart spiritually, and this is what God is doing within us, okay? And that distinction, that delineation is an important one. So if you're investigating Christ, like these are the things that God wants for you and what, a big part of what it means to be a Christ follower, and if you've already made that decision, these are things that we're embracing in our life and, and, and that we're locking into because when God talks about being a, a follower of Christ or having your sins forgiven, he talks about this in very deep and dynamic ways. So he doesn't talk about being a Christ follower as like an addition 
or an activity or a set of behaviors. He talks about it kind of more deeply into the core than that. So the Bible uses phrases like this. Uh, this is Jesus. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So think about like the depths of what that would mean. He goes on, he says, you were originally born in flesh, now you're going to be born in spirit. So like your spiritual DNA is different. You have a, a spiritual father that, that gives something different in you. You're born again. You're reborn. Uh, the apostle Paul uses this phrase. He says, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. So the Apostle Paul would use that picture. He's like, you're a brand new thing. The old thing is gone. The, the sinful thing, the, the, the unforgiven thing, that part of your spirit's gone. But this new thing, the, this Jesus thing is a part of you. He also says this, Ephesians, he says, for we're God's handy, we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul says, you, you were, once you were kind of your old self, but now you're God's handiwork. You've been crafted for something else. You were remade, reborn, recreated. You're different now than you were before spiritually. The Bible also uses metaphors like this. It says, um, you were dead in, in your sin. So the Bible says, in our sin and in our trespasses, we are spiritually dead the Bible uses another phrase, says we're enemies of God in our heart, in our sin. We're rebelling against God. And then after salvation, it, was, it would use images like this. You were spiritually dead, but you've been brought to life in Christ. You've been made alive in Christ. It would use the image of darkness. You were darkness, but now you are light. Live as children of the light. So there's never like this in-between, you added on, you put a little bit more in there kind of thinking in the Scripture. It's this radical, complete, down-to-the-DNA transformation that happens when we accept Christ as, as our Savior. And then what the Apostle Paul is doing now, what we're kind of looking at in the Bible, is he's talking about the ramifications of that, what happens because of that complete change, all right? So we've been talking about this for a couple weeks. Uh, the podcast, the app, the website, like that's, uh, those conversations are there. They may be valuable for you if you wanna investigate this stuff deeply. That stuff's always free if you want it. But maybe listen to that. And this weekend, I wanna take us like a step deeper into it. Once that salvation, that new birth, that resurrection has happened, what is our life about? What are we made for now? How would God call us to live? Okay, so we've been digging at this, and I want to move us to Ephesians chapter 4 this weekend. So if you got your Bible, grab those and open up to Ephesians chapter 4. It's page 948 in those Bibles that are in the chairs if you want to use those. And if you don't have a Bible or a newer one and you want that one, please just take it. We would actually love for you to keep it. Just write your name in it. Of course, all this is on the app. And we're going to investigate what the Apostle Paul teaches us about this. So um, this is what's happening here. The Apostle Paul, the book of Ephesians is a letter that God prompted the Apostle Paul to write to a church. And the church was in the city of Ephesus. And this church was made up of brand new Christians. So everything is kind of brand new here in the Bible. 
And Paul is helping them understand what it means to receive their salvation in Christ and the ramifications of that. And that's what we're investigating too, okay? Now, before we jump into this, I, I want to I share with you something that I've observed over, over the years, okay? So these are, this is my observation. My observation is this. If, if we went and did a man-on-the-street interview, and we kind of walked up to people randomly, and we said to them, what's the purpose of being a Christ follower? Why would you become a Christ follower? What are you going to accomplish through that? What I've observed over the, the, the years is this, that people will generally give you one of three answers. They'll kind of give it to you in a category, okay? Now, they won't, they won't say these exact words, but they'll kind of think in these categories. So, if I said to you, what's the purpose of being a Christ follower? There's a bunch of people that would say, the reason that you accept Christ is to not go to hell, right? So, so that you don't go to hell, you go to heaven. I was taught that as a kid. Uh, when I was a six-year-old kid, a preacher came through town. He preached a sermon about hell. It was a really good one. It was smoking, man. I mean, he was really about hell. And at the end of the sermon, he said, if you want to go to heaven and not go to hell, you need to accept Jesus. So come up here. We would walk forward back then. And he said, come forward and accept Jesus so that you don't go to hell. Well, I was, boom, out like a shot, right? Because as a six-year-old, even as a six-year-old, I'm like, I'm really anti going to hell, really anti going to hell. And you're giving me two choices, and I'm going to pick heaven, right? So a lot of people believe that. Like the reason you would accept Christ and follow Christ is so you don't go to hell. And so they would believe that, I prayed a prayer, or some faith traditions would teach that you were baptized, and that keeps you out of hell, and that's the reason that you become a Christian, and your walk with God kind of boils down to that. Second category is this category. If I said to you, what's the reason for becoming a Christian, many people would answer, to get your life together to get your life together. So I've been living like a wild life. I got through college, decided to break my addictions, to get sober, to be a good dad, whatever it is, like to grow up. And so I'm going to be a Christian so that I can stop smoking, drinking, chewing, dating girls who do and cheering for Michigan, all the horrible sins, right? And so the Bible is going to help me with that. And then I heard that there's other lists of things in the Bible and so if I really want to like grow up and mature, I should find out what those other sins are and stop doing those too. Okay, that's kind of the second category. The third category, this category is very predominant today, and it's this idea that I'm going to become a Christ follower so that I have a healthy balance in my life, right? So I'm going to lose some weight. I'm going, I'm going to get emotionally healthy and I'm going to get spiritually healthy. I want to be physically, emotionally, and spiritually healthy. And to get spiritually healthy, because I grew up in a Christianized culture, uh, the, the spiritual thing that I understand the most would be attached to Jesus. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that in there too. I'm, I'm going to start exercising. I'm going to start eating kale. And I'm going to start, you know, following Jesus. And I want to be a balanced healthy, well-rounded person, okay? And so those are generally like the three categories that I would run into a lot if we were doing a man-on-the-street interview. Now, the Apostle Paul says something different, and, and he would look and say, you know, following Jesus is a lot more than that. 
Like, it's, it's not just don't go to hell. You, you don't go to hell, but, like, that's like a perk almost. Like, the, the, the knock it off stuff, you can kind of knock all that off without following Jesus. And then the healthy stuff, it's like, it's, it's great. Like, it's a good thing that you would incorporate some Jesus into your life, but you could incorporate a bunch of stuff in your life and achieve your same goal. You were made for something more than that. Now, last weekend, Paul in, in Ephesians chapter 2 and 3 introduced this term to us that he called the new humanity. And, and in his letter to the Ephesians, he says, you've been, you've been rescued by Christ, and Christ has created you into something different. You're not your old spiritual background to the ancient Jewish people. You're not your old cultural background to the ancient Gentile people. You're now in Christ. You're a new humanity that Christ has created for himself. You become, another term he uses, you become a part of the household of God. So you start putting that stuff together, new humanity, household of God, family of God, reborn, new creation, spiritually resurrected. It starts to sound like a lot more than like not go to hell, stop behaving badly, and become balanced, right? And what he does here in Ephesians chapter 4 is he starts to explain what this is. And he says this in verse 1. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And he introduces this idea that there's this calling that we receive. Now, what's fascinating is this. For many people, when they would read this sentence, what they would key in on is the word worthy. I, I urge you to be worthy, which is, did you accept Christ or are you not going to hell? Have you knocked it off? Have you stopped it? Are you balanced? Are you a good person? That's where that idea would come from. But when you read this sentence, the key word in this sentence is, is not worthy. The key word is calling. Worthy of the calling. Well, what's the calling? I have to understand the calling to know how to live worthy of it. Well, the calling is the calling to love Christ with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. Jesus was actually asked that question one time. This dude came up to him, and he was like, hey, what, Jesus, what's the big rule? What's the main rule to make sure that I go to heaven? And Jesus is like, you know what? I'll tell it to you. Here it is. Here's the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on those two commandments. In other words, Jesus says, none of the Bible works or makes sense unless you base it off of loving God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. So the calling is not how do I do enough good works to score points to go to heaven. The calling is how do I, what's it mean to love God? What's it mean to love him with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength? What, what, what has God done in me? How do I embrace that? How do I unleash that, so to say? How do the, a phrase Paul gives, he says, that I pray that the eyes of your heart are enlightened. What am I to discover about what Christ has done in me spiritually when I was reborn at salvation. What is this calling? Now, he goes on in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 and following, and he starts to describe 
what the calling is like. And this is not a comprehensive list. It's a partial list. But he says, this is what it's like. This is people who are living a life worthy of the calling. Their lives kind of look like this, verse 2, chapter 4, Ephesians, these people are, are, are completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. People who live a life worthy of the calling, not a comprehensive list, just a descriptor, they, they, they look like humble people, they look like gentle people. They, they look like patient people who are bearing with one another in love, and they, they look like they're unified. That sounds a lot like they love their neighbor as themselves. People who are worthy of the calling are living a life in which they are loving others the way that Christ loves them. It's very humble of Jesus to give his life. He didn't have to do that. Jesus is very gentle. By nature, I'm objects of, God, of God's wrath, the Bible says. So God's very gentle. His kindness draws us to repentance, the Bible says. He bears with us in love. I mean, we're difficult. I know I'm difficult to love. And some of you, I know you. You're unbelievably difficult to, <laughs> right? So Jesus loves us that way. And he's like, yeah, love your neighbor like that. People who are living a life that's defined by their calling are living a life that looks like Jesus. Then he goes on, look at verse 4. He says, people, they're like this. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Jesus says there's one body or one church. There's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism. Baptism is the symbol of our resurrection from the spiritual dead to life. I die to myself, I'm resurrected in Christ, I come out of the water. It sounds a lot like love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So Jesus says people who are worthy are living this life worthy of the calling. It's not that they're, they're keeping like this to do and to don't list is that they're, they're, they're understanding what Christ has done in them, and it's transforming them. People who are by nature selfish are becoming by nature loving. People who are by nature harsh are becoming by nature gentle. And, and, and they're focused, and their life has refocused. Instead of saying, my life is about me, I'm like, no, there's... There's one, it's about the church, and it's about my faith, and it's about what God has done in me when he resurrected me from the dead, and, and about being led by the Holy Spirit, and, and it's about that now. And people who are embracing or engaging their calling are doing that. That's, that's a lot different than now I'm not going to go to hell, now I'm knocking it off, now I feel healthy and balanced. In fact, it's fascinating, in chapter 3, Paul actually prays that those of us who are followers of Jesus can get our head and our hearts around this. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 and following says this, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives his name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner self that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Isn't that fascinating? He doesn't look and say, you know what I pray? I pray that you quit being Captain F-bomb. I'm, oh. 
I, I pray that you quit being sexually immoral. Just stop it with the porn. I, I pray that you would just start, that you would tithe. Good night. It's so clear. He doesn't say, he doesn't pray for these behavior modifications. He prays that we would understand how much God indwells us and that we would understand what's happening in us now that we are filled with the Spirit of God because we've been reborn and, tra and, and transformed and made new. In fact, he goes on and he says this, I pray that you being rooted and established in love, that's your salvation. Now that this has happened for you, you're rooted and you're established. The Holy Spirit lives within you. He acts as a, as a deposit guaranteeing a place in heaven. Salvation, heaven handled. Now that that has happened, what I'm praying is that you may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how high and wide and long and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be fulfilled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul looks and says, I'm praying for you that you stop it, that you finally accept Christ, that you are balanced. He says, no, I'm praying that you can get a hold of how deeply Christ loves you. How transformational that love is. How complete that love is. How it pushes into every nuance of your life. Because when you start to download and understand and get your head and your heart around the, the depth of Christ's love and forgiveness and humility for you, you will not be able to easily withhold that love from a neighbor who needs it. When you start to download the depth of God's sacrifice and passion for you, Loving him isn't going to be a religious duty and obligation. It's just going to be an overflow of the heart. When you love somebody, you really have, you almost can't help but express your love for them. And Paul says that, that's the life worthy. See, that, that's the worthy life for the calling. That, that these things are reflected in our life. And it's not that we go grab them and now I don't smoke and now I don't drink and now I don't chew. It's already been born within us. It, it, and and I, I grasp it. I understand it. I, I get my head around the full measure of it. And that's what transforms me. Now, Paul continues in chapter 4, and, it, it, and it's almost like he, he realizes that that's mind-boggling. Whether you grew up, in, you know, as an ancient Jewish person or an ancient Gentile, and now you're in this new church, it, however you grew up, he's almost like, yeah, I know, this is a little much, right? Because you were told to keep the rules, and you were told there were none. So this whole love thing, what is this all about? So what he does, he comes back in. And he almost reassures people that God's going to help with this. He says this in verse 11. So Christ himself, and that's important, because what we're about ready to talk about is not organized religion. It's not like pastors need jobs stuff. This is something that Jesus does for us 
because we've been reborn as his children. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to do what? To equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in faith and in knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul comes back in and he says, guys, I know this is a little weird, a little mind-boggling. I know this isn't what you've really been taught, but don't worry, there's help on the way. God helps us. First of all, he created the church. The church is not a man-made creation. It's a Jesus-made creation. We actually know when the church began. It was the day of Pentecost. God, God created the church. So I created the church so that together you guys could understand these things. And then I created certain roles in the church to help you with it. So I've called certain people to serve you in certain ways. I've called some to be pastors, apostles, teachers, evangelists. These are spiritual gifts. You ever been, you've ever been uh, listening to somebody teach the Bible and they teach the Bible and maybe it's a, it's, a, it's a passage you've heard a thousand times but suddenly you understand it? And you're like, when that guy teaches the Bible, I understand what it says. Well, it's not because that guy's super smart. It's because he's gifted in a certain way by God to help you teach the Bible. That's what Paul's saying. Or you're, you're, you hear a song and you hear it on the radio, you're like, that's a nice song. And then, and then you, you come to church and one of the worship leaders is leading you in worship. And you're like, man, when that lady leads in worship, I just feel connected to God. Well, it's not because she's so talented. It's because it's a gifting from God. It does a different spiritual connection. Well, that, that's, Paul's like, yeah, that you got the church and you got the, the leaders and the teachers in the church to help with that. Another place in the Bible tells us that God gives us the Holy Spirit. And one of the main things that the Holy Spirit does is he's our helper. He helps us understand what God wants and how God wants us to live. And then God gives us the Bible, the Word of God. To, it's like literally written down. So Paul's like, your calling is to know Christ and to love people by, by understanding the depth of God's love. How do you do that? Well, the church helps, the teachers help, the Holy Spirit helps, God's Word helps. You're not out there on your own. I've surrounded you with all of this so, so that you can get your head around it because God wants us to be equipped to, to serve Him and to mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so He literally surrounds us with like an ecosystem that will produce that in us individually and then corporately as the church. Now, it's fascinating. As he lays all that out, and he's like, it's not just like don't go to hell stuff. It's not like knock it off stuff. It's not just balance stuff. The calling is greater than that. Live a life worthy of the calling or pursue that calling, right? Here's what it is. This is kind of what it looks like. And God's created all this stuff around you so that you can have access to it. And then what Paul does is he says, now it's kind of it's in your hands a little bit. Christ saved you. All this resurrection is in you. See? I, I pray that the eyes of your heart are enlightened. I pray that you can grasp. That can be confusing. Oh, so I gave you the church. I gave you leaders. I gave you the Holy Spirit. I gave you the Bible. Now 
you have to engage and allow this to happen. This is how he says it, verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants. So you're born again. You're born a spiritual baby, right? So we will no longer be infants, blown, uh, tossed back and forth by the winds, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and the craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. What's he saying? He's saying, if you'll, if you'll engage, if you'll grasp, if you'll allow God, if you'll embrace the church, the teachings, the spirit, the word of God, you'll grow up and you won't just be a spiritual infant that's blown around, right? What does that look like? A few years ago, I had a, a, a friend that I've known for years. He grew up in the church, grew up studying the Bible, all this kind of stuff. And he came to me, he said, Jeff, he goes, I finally figured out the origin of humanity. I'm like, oh, I, I thought we covered that in Sunday school in the second grade, but okay, what's the origin of humanity? He goes, aliens. I said, I said, what? He goes, yeah, aliens. He goes, it's aliens, man. That's why different cultures at different times in history mirror each other across the globe when they weren't able to communicate. It's aliens, I said, where'd you pick that up, man? He goes, ancient aliens all day Friday on the History Channel. I'm just like addicted to this show. I'm like, so it's aliens. He goes, yeah, that's what happens. It's the only way it could possibly happen. I said, so it couldn't possibly happen because there's a creator God that created us each in his own image and has the Holy Spirit on his church through all of time. And so we all think like God. It's got to be aliens. Yeah. And I'm... I'm Looking at my friend, I'm answering him relatively as gentle as I can, which is a very gentle. And I'm like, you're blown and tossed by the wind. Bro, you, you grew up in church, man. I mean, you know the Bible. And in one Friday afternoon, you jumped to aliens? But he did. Why? Because he, he's an infant. Jeff, you, listen, everything's changed. What do you mean? Well, you know that what the Bible says here in the Bible and this truth that's been true for all of history over all of time, every human culture at every point of history has always accepted that relationships work this way. Yeah, it's not that way anymore. How come? Well, there was a, a court ruling that says it's not that way anymore. What? Yeah, it's just not that way anymore. So the, the Word of God and all of human history is invalidated because somebody said, yeah. All right, I guess. I mean, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. Everybody now knows. You mean everybody in the, in the 70 years you're on the planet? Because we all agreed on a bunch of stuff at different phases of history. We all believed there were dragons. We all believed the earth was flat. We all believed a bunch of stuff, and they were all right. And so Paul looks and he says, you're rooted and established in love. This is post-salvation. And, and, and the Holy Spirit and the church and the teachers and, and, and the Word of God are all there. So you can get a hold of how death, this isn't just like knock it off. This is like, the mind and the heart and the character of God. But you, you can no longer simply be an infant. 
He goes on, and he says in verse 15, instead, instead of that being reminiscent of you, speak the truth in love, we will grow to become, uh, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament, Grow, uh, ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Paul's like, instead of that, let's grow and let's mature and let's do that with each other and for each other so that we're rooted more deeply in our knowledge of Christ and his love and his transforming power and how he would have us look at the world, how he would have us look at people, how he would have us understand himself, grows deeper and deeper and deeper. And, that, and said, we move away from infancy and we move to maturity and you were made for that. You were made to understand Christ in his heart on deeper and deeper levels. So Paul lays out this idea that, that it's not a to-do list, it's a trajectory. That following Jesus isn't not going to hell, check. Quit smoking, drinking, chewing, check. Healthy balance, check. Instead, he would say, no, it's a relationship that moves. It's not a checklist. It's a relationship that moves. And that relationship becomes deeper and deeper and more and more intimate. You grasp it. You understand it. That changes your mind. It changes your heart. It changes your outlook. It changes your life. And there, there's no point in which you master it, but you, you keep accepting it and allowing it and grasping it. And you do that individually, and you do that corporately, and you were made for that. You weren't made just to get out of hell. That's maybe not deep enough. And it's not just knock it off, right? Don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew. That, that stuff's not even the Bible. The don't cheer for Michigan part is in the Old Testament. You have to read it in Hebrew, but it's there. But like the, the other stuff's not, it's like not even in the Bible. And then the healthy balance stuff, well, that's about, that's more about what you're doing with Jesus instead of what Jesus is doing in you. So you're made for this in this trajectory of your life, okay? Now, I have a theory I have a theory. So here's my theory. I don't have a lot of science behind this theory, but I have a lot of pastoring people behind this theory, okay? So here's my theory. My theory is this. My theory is that most people hit the peak of their spiritual maturity about three to four years after they accept Jesus. And that they, they plateau and they never really grow past that. I do have science behind this one. We, we've, done the, we've done the research and we know this, that most people, after they accept Christ as their Savior, especially if you're an adult, if you accept Christ as your Savior, most people will never share their faith with another individual. They'll never share the reason for the hope that's within them with another individual three years after they accept Christ. They'll be mute about that for the rest of their life. And my theory presses down a little bit deeper. Like I said, it's just some observation. That's what happens. We, we run into Christ, and that's super exciting to be reborn, to be spiritually resurrected, to be remade new. That's awesome. And then that, 
usually leads to a baptism. A baptism is a public proclamation of what Christ has done in our hearts. And so we invite friends and family, and we're super bold about that, being baptized. We'll get information about the Bible. So the Old Testament, the New Testament, we'll start to know who like some of the Bible heroes are. And when Jeff says the Apostle Paul, we know what that means. And, and we'll pick up like some Christian lingo that's tied to the Bible. We'll start doing super duper basic obedience. Don't smoke, drink, chew, date, girls will do. Start giving. But our, our giving as a, for instance, whatever we give at year three will be pretty much what we give the rest of our lives. Whatever spiritual habits we pick up by year three are pretty much the spiritual habits that we keep the rest of our lives. So however I interact with the Bible at year three is how I interact with the Bible the rest of my life. My church attendance, the, the average North American family or household, the committed family, attends services with other believers two out of five weekends a month. Uh, 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 it's not even a month, a year now. Right? That's average. So those patterns will set in. And we'll kind of lock those out, and that will be all that we do for like the rest of our spiritual journey. We'll, we'll, we'll level right there, right? And we'll call that then our faith. Do you love Christ? Yeah, I go to church. Do you love Christ? Yeah, we're still married. Are you, are you committed to Christ? Yeah, I give something. And we'll kind of level right there, and that's our spiritual journey. So for most people, the spiritual highlights of their life are memories, not realities. It's what we used to do. It's not what we're involved in right now. Now, here's the kicker. If you brought that mindset into any other relationship you would be like, that relationship is not healthy, right? So if you brought that mindset into like marriage, if, if Heidi and I have been married, we're coming up on 26 years. If, if my maturity as a husband leveled out at year three and Heidi's still married to the 25-year-old Jeff and she's moved on, she would be unbelievably frustrated, Right? he's still playing NBA Live on his Sony game station, right? Still going out with his buddy, still doing it. And, and she'd be like, this is, you're so immature. I'd be like, what? I've, I'm walking with you. What do you want from me? You're so demanding. And you'd be like, go to counseling immediately, right? Or hire a hitman. Whatever solves this problem. If we did this in parenting, if I only allowed my relationship with my children to, to grow to year three, and now they're like 20. You're like, come here, buddy, give me a hug, come here, you need a burpee, you need a burpee, right? We'd be like, you are demented. If we did that in our job, and we're like, yeah, I, my skills progressed until the third year of my job, so if you bring out the Commodore 64, I can conquer that thing. And that was all we ever matured. If you did that in our friendships, if you guys, you guys are lifelong friends? Yeah, lifelong friends. What do you do when you're together? We go drinking. Like, like in college? Yeah, but now we have real IDs, so we go drinking. 
Are you involved in each other's lives? We meet up and we go drinking. We go to Vegas and we drink. That's the, that's the depth of it? How's his children doing? I don't even, does he have kids? Does Bill have kids? I mean, see, any other relationship, we would be like, that's nuts. In fact, when I was thinking about this, you know who I thought of? I thought of, the, I thought of Uncle Rico. That, that's where my mind went. If you don't know that movie, don't watch it. But, but it, it, Uncle Rico, he's just that guy stuck in high school. And if you look at that guy stuck in high school, and he's like 45 now, and he's still drinking and driving his Camaro and talking about the state championship game, you'd be like, dude, come on, right? But for many of us, that, that's our spiritual reality. Teenagers, college students, you know what the national stats are? National stats are that 85% of kids who grow up in church leave the church when they turn 18. You know why? Because the church quits catering to them. So they're like, where's my fun thing? And where's my, what do you mean I have to give money, not receive money? What do you mean I have to, and so they're out. And it's a very, Paul's word, it's a very infantile way of thinking. When, it, when a baby has a need, they cry, and you run to the baby, and you, what, what's wrong, buddy? Do you, do you, are you hungry? Is your diaper messy? Are you sick? Something wrong? You, you give attention to that baby, and, and when we pick up that mindset in our relationship with God, we're like, eh, the pastor's not feeding me. Gosh, 20 years later, that's, eh, nobody noticed when I, when I didn't, I didn't show up for a month. Nobody noticed. So you're upset you didn't say anything? I mean, see. And that's my theory a little bit. And Paul would be like, that's not your calling. That, that's not your calling. So, right? So live a life worthy of your calling. I'm not going to hell. Well, that, that's not your calling. I don't, I don't do what those guys do. But, but that's not, the calling isn't to knock it off. See? I'm balanced. I, I really appreciate Jesus. Well, that's not, I mean, I'm glad you appreciate Jesus, but that's not your calling. So look at the language. Just catch the language he uses. He says things like this. Your calling, we become mature. We're always growing. We, we mature. If 26 years later, Heidi is still married to the 25-year-old 20, Jeff instead of the 48-year-old Jeff, she'd be like, you're, you're immature, right? He uses language like this, no longer be infants. When, when the body, that's the church, when the body is all about me and what I want, well, that's very appropriate for an infant. They, don't, they wouldn't know another way to express themselves. But if, if a parent thought like an infant, see, uses this language, we will grow. The word we is important. Guys, we is important. The, this is all in the context of the body becomes us together, right? That, that's why, like, if all you ever do is watch, like, services online or a podcast of your favorite preacher, 
which I'm just going to assume is me, right? So, but you're like, that, that's all you ever do? And you're like, I'm separated from the body. Well, if there's no we, then the me can't mature. So that's why, like, live streams, like there's great supplements. Like, you're on vacation or something like that. Like, of course, but if that's the whole of it, Paul, like, well, you have to have we to grow. Who am I patient with, humble toward, gentle with, and whose burdens do I bear if it's just me and a screen? So we grow, and he says this, grows and builds itself up in love. Itself is the church. So the, the, the me becomes the we, and the body grows. And Paul would say, that's the calling. Walk, live a life worthy of the calling or reflective of or directed by or defined in the calling. The calling of what? The calling to grasp the love of God and have that be transformative. The calling to, to know Christ's heart and mind on deeper and deeper levels. The, 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 the calling to love in ways that you never thought you could. In fact, it's almost a, a supernatural, spirit-led, spirit-empowered thing that you could love that person that way. That's the calling. And Paul would look and say, Jesus, he didn't expect you to just get your head around that. But he would look and say, I pray that you grasp it. I pray that you mature to that. I pray that you attain it, that it soaks in. I pray that that defines you, that you search for it. And it's really nothing like, I got out of hell, I'm going to heaven. I mean, that's a great perk. It's really nothing like, here's the 10 things you're not allowed to do anymore. I mean, sort of, but all those things are tied to loving people, loving God, not just behavior modifications. And it's not like, you know, I eat clean and I do yoga and I, and I follow Jesus. Those things are fine. Yoga is fine. Following Jesus is great. Kale, that's, that's evil. I mean, straight from the pit of hell. But, but, right, the, but it's, it's more than all that. It's all, all in. And that's what you were made for, right? If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, this is what God is inviting you to. If you're already a follower of Jesus, this is what God has empowered you for, to attain, to grasp, and to lock into that, okay? All right. I thought of some questions here. I just wrote down, and these are, you may use these or not, just pathways that you can maybe go down in, in your time of reflection, but things like this. Are you embracing growth? Are you embracing growth? You know, Heidi and I, I watch this in our kids. When, when our kids grow, they have growing pains. And the boys, as an example, you know, when, when they're growing from like this four and a half foot tall kid to this six foot three kid, like there's this growing pain, their joints and muscles ache and stuff like that, but they never resent it. It's always interesting. They want to be that big guy, even though it's a little bit turbulent to get there. That's the idea. Are you, are you embracing it? Do you want it? See? 
The, the second thought I, I thought was this. It, do, do you have a sense of arrival? Guys, please be careful with this. If you think you're knocking it out, be careful with that. You've done enough, you've given enough, you learned enough. I can, I can fill in the blanks before Jeff even starts. Careful with that. If you think you've mastered the Bible, I, I literally have a PhD in the Bible, and the more I study it, the less I, I understand it, the more wonder I see in it. Careful with that. Because the Bible's alive and active, see, it, it change, it, its implications change in our life as we grow in Christ. So you have a sense of arrival. Are you in a, are you in a routine and a rut and calling that your faith? And the last thing we wrote down is this. For some of us, for some of us, the reason that you're stalled out spiritually is because you should be the pastor, teacher, evangelist, apostle, right? And you look and say, I used to do that. There was a time when I did that. I'm like, probably the reason that things are dull for you is because you're not embracing it. If, you, if your prayer life is stagnant, I never know what to pray about, step out on faith and you'll pray like crazy. You know, you want to pray like nuts? Let's go to Chad together. You'll pray, baby. You'll pray. The reason the Bible's boring is maybe it's because you don't have a friend that questions it or needs it. So you're like, read that one, read that one, read that one. Right. It's because you need to be teaching it and even having your thinking challenged so that you believe it more. You see what I'm saying? So for some of us, the reason that we're stuck and stale is because you're called to serve and to teach and to lead and you're, you're showing up at church instead of that, right? I don't know. If, if it, whatever path God takes you down, these are just like thoughts with it. But remember what you're made for. Remember what you're made for. You're made for this, to grasp to download, to be enlightened to the powerful love and life-transforming nature of Christ, okay? All right. Band will come out and give us a little time to think. Let me pray as they settle in. Jesus, help us with all this. Me too, Lord. We get into the routines and the ruts I do. I lose my sensitivity, God. I lose being led by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, forgive me for that and help all of us with it. Lord, help us to, to download the depth, not the, not the to do, but how deeply we are loved. And Lord, as we love you, our behavior will modify as we love you because we'll want to express that love to you. So help us to grasp that love. And the grass is incredible, powerful, life-altering work that you are doing in us. For those of us who don't know you yet, Lord, draw us, even in these moments, with your kindness through your spirit, having a longing and a thought and an openness and an attraction to what we've been talking about, maybe in a way we've never had before, and bring us to a point where we do believe what you say about us and about yourself and receive that. Do that work in these still moments in our lives, Jesus, in your name.